0: We are going to be in Ephesians 2, Genesis 3, Numbers 16, and Isaiah 53. (laughs) Kind of like the the verse that says the Lord gives the command and the context for that is to take Canaan. We're looking at the word of God um, from when the Israelites of the Hebrews came out of slavery in Egypt and, and they worked toward going into this promised land that the Lord had prepared them um, and Canaan was one of, of those areas of the promised land and so we're looking at a historical literal text but we're seeing the spiritual truths in our lives today and last month Annette brought a great word about, um, about the 12 spies that were sent in to assess the promised land, um, not to assess whether or not God could bring them into the promised land, uh, but that's how they took their assignment. And they came back with a bad report. They spread a bad, bad report throughout the camp. And unfortunately, they, um, they took steps back towards slavery instead, instead of steps into promise. So that's kind of where we're picking up. And I've got to tell you, after Annette spoke, knowing that I would probably speak this month, I went into my word. I saw the passage of Scripture that was next in the book of Numbers, and I thought, ooh, Lord
1: I don't want to I don't really
0: want to teach that and I'd like to skip over that and uh, and I felt like the Lord uh, just told me to trust him trust me with it um, let me work you don't get to just do easy passages um, you can surrender what little strength you have and, and let me do what I do so I just want to tell you on the front end I don't really desire to be teaching from this place tonight but even in this passage where we're going to see some um, devastation and some wrath, I think that we'll see the grace of God, and I think we'll leave all the better for it. So, starting out, we're going to start out reminded about the grace of God. This is our reality today in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. It says, and you, you were dead and separated from him because of your transgressions and sins in which you once walked. You were following the ways of this world, influenced by this present age, in accordance with the prince of the power of the air, Satan, the spirit who is now at work in the disobedient, the unbelieving who fight against the purposes of God. Just pause and think about the word rebellion right there. And we'll come back to it. Among these, We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, our behavior governed by the sinful self, indulging the desires of human nature without the Holy Spirit and the impulses of the sinful mind. We were by nature children under, under the sentence of God's wrath, just like the rest of mankind. But God, being so very rich in mercy because of his great and wonderful love with which he loved us, Even when we were dead and separated from him because of our sins, he made us alive together with Christ. For by his grace, undeserved favor and mercy, you have been saved from God's judgment. And he raised us up together with him when we believed and seated us with him in the heavenly places because we are in Christ Jesus. And he did this so that in the ages to come he might clearly show the immeasurable and unsurpassed riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus by providing for our redemption. For it is by grace, God's remarkable, remarkable compassion and favor, drawing you to Christ that you have been saved, actually delivered from judgment and given eternal life through faith. And this salvation is not of yourselves nor through your own effort, But it is the undeserved, gracious gift of God. Amen. That's where we want to start. And I want you to remember that as we dive into a passage where these folks were not yet under grace. Did God extend grace to them multiple times in their journey? Yes, he did. But we're going to get a really good picture of what the prince of the power of the air, Satan, looks like when he's trying to come in and work among God's people. And so, if you grew up in the Bible Belt, you probably know the story of Adam and Eve. Satan appears as a serpent to Eve, and there's great deceit. And so, and then we know, um, you know, we know things about Satan are mentioned quite a bit in the Old Testament. I mean, New Testament. But in the Old Testament, you may wonder where was Satan during this time? What was Satan doing during this time? And often he was producing strife either internally among the Israelites or he was working in the neighboring nations around them, especially once they got into the promised land. And so first I want to dive into Genesis chapter 3 so that we can recognize the strategy of Satan and how he engages with Eve, God's chosen creation. If we can kind of dissect and look at what he's doing when he talks to her and what he's doing when he begins to try and shape her mindset and get her to partner in rebellion toward God, then we're really going to understand what's going on in the book of Numbers when we look at the rebellion of a man named Korah. And then looking for both of those passages, we're going to have a really good grasp that, oh my goodness, When we came into this world, we were dead in sin. We were separated from Christ. We were in the pit of hell that Korah is going to end up in before this night is over. But God, in his grace, redeemed us out of that and seated us in Christ. So that's where we're going. So hang tight with me. Go to Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, the fall of man. Now the serpent was more crafty, Subtle, skilled in deceit, than any living creature of the field which the Lord God had made. And the serpent Satan said to the woman, Can it really be that God has said, You shall not eat from any of the trees? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, except from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden. God said, You shall not eat from it, nor touch it otherwise you will die. But the serpent said, you will surely not die. Right off the bat, I want to notice how the prince of the air attacks people. Satan always undermines the word of the Lord to the chosen of the Lord. God chose to create Eve. She was his chosen creation. And he's undermining right off the bat. Did God really say that? Okay? So, Relative to Eve, it's relative to us. Now it's going to be relative to Kor's rebellion in just a second. Then he says, you will surely not die. Satan always undermines the consequences of partnering with rebellion and sinning against the Lord. And so just to give this thought of rebellion a, a bit of a framework, it really doesn't feel good to say that I've lived in rebellion in my life. But anyone that has ever lived was born in rebellion to God. Rebellion is simply partnering with the opposite of what the Lord has told us. And so, perfect world didn't exist. The enemy introduces this opportunity to partner in a rebellion against the word of the Lord. And sin enters the world. So we're going to continue. Verse 4, reading it again. But the servant said to the woman, you certainly will not die. For God knows that on the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, you will have greater awareness, and you will be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was delightful to look at, and a tree to be desired in order to make one wise and insightful, she took some of its fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband with her, and he ate it. Just want you to note right there, when rebellion is present, it spreads like wildfire, okay? Inside of you, if it's you're allowing it to live inside of you actively, and inside the community that you're in. Then the eyes of the two of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and that they had fastened fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Even though it says the, eye, the eyes of, of them were opened, I think a way that we can think about it is that their spiritual eyes were closed at that point in time. Their eyes were open to uh, the reality of, of sin, but they were closed to the goodness of God. That's the effect of rebellion, always. So just keep all this in mind as we get ready to launch into the passage in Numbers. But then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden In the cool of the day, so the man and his wife hid, and they kept themselves hidden from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, That woman whom you gave me to be with, she gave me the fruit from the tree and I ate it. So when they chose to rebel against the word of the Lord and the word of the Lord was, do not eat from that tree, they partnered in rebellion with the prince of the power of the air. That is Satan. He still exists today. And the result of that was shame, blame, spiritual death. I also want to note that one of the ways that the enemy engaged Eve in her rebellion was telling her that she needed to have more she needed to be exalted that the place that God had that the place that God had her in was insufficient, that it wasn't as good as what was available. and so still today sometimes the enemy, the power of the prince, the prince of the power of the air he comes, And he makes you discontent with the place that you're in. And as long as you can't see the goodness of God in the place that you're in, you'll never be content in that space. And so she chooses to partner in rebellion and just agreeing, yeah, there's more for me than what God had. And the result, they're hiding in the bushes. They're spiritually dead at this point. If you continue reading, God prophesies this um, declaration of his yes to beginning Uh, the thread of redemption that we see throughout the rest of of the scripture. But we're just using that as a framework to get where we're really going. So now, if you'll turn with me to the book of Numbers, chapter 16. Picking up where Annette left off, the spies return to the camp. The camp is uh, frightened because of the fear that has been spread among them. They decide to try and, uh, and go back into battle on their own after they've disobeyed the Lord. And in doing so, they disobey him again. And at this point, this is the way that this is taught in the Jewish community, what I'm about to share. Um, it's not connected word for word in the Bible, so I'll just sub- submit it to you and you can decide for yourselves what you think. But the Lord gives instruction to Moses that they are to sew tassels onto their attire so they might remember to obey the word of the Lord in the future so that they don't end up, and they being God's chosen people, the nation of Israel, so that they don't end up in this state of uh, wilderness travel again without a destination. So simple instruction. Jewish teaching would say that at that point, this gentleman named Korah, who was of the tribe of the Levites, said, I've had enough with this Moses. This is over the top. And at this point uh, in the Jewish community, they teach that this rebellious spirit in Korah begins to manifest. So we're going to pick up in Numbers 16, verse 1. And what you have to understand about Korah and some of the other folks that are members of the tribe of Levi, these were some of God's Chosen ministers. Whenever, last time I was with you and I spoke, we were talking about whenever they had the worship and the waiting without the Lord while God was preparing preparing the law for them up on the mountain, while he was preparing the pathway into promise and, and making that manifest to Moses. Well, during that time, he called out several folks and said, I want such and such to do this, such and such to do this. The tribe of Levi was specifically set aside to be ministers to the Lord. So this was a man with high calling, on his life by default of the family that he was born into. So keep that in mind. Number 16 verse 1. Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, descendants of Reuben, took action. This is after they received this this instruction. They rose up in rebellion before Moses together with some of the Israelites. 250 leaders of the congregation chosen in the assembly, men of distinction. They assembled together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You've gone too far, for all the congregation are holy. We're all holy, every one of us, and the Lord is among us. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? And when Moses heard this, he fell face downward, and he spoke to Korah. In all, his comp- in all his company saying, in the morning, the Lord will show who belongs to him and, and who is holy. And he will bring him near to himself. The one whom he will choose, he will bring near to himself. Moving down to verse 8. Then Moses said to Korah, hear now, you sons of Levi, Does it seem but a small thing that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation to bring you near to himself to do the service of his tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister to them? And that he has brought you near to him, Korah, you and all of your brothers, sons of of Levi with you, would you seek the priesthood also? Therefore, you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord, But as for Aaron, who is he that you murmur against him? So going back to the passage in Genesis, in that context, Eve was God's chosen, right? She was the first female. He chose to create her. We learn in the book of Exodus that Moses and Aaron are God's chosen to minister to the people, bringing them out of the land of slavery into the land of promise. They did not volunteer to go and perform signs, wonders to part seas, but God had this calling upon their life. And it actually says in Exodus chapter Four, that the people believed that Moses was God's chosen. So there was no question about that. So what you have right now is a spirit of rebellion at work among these people of Korah, and they are rebelling against God's chosen. So you see that in the rebuttal toward Moses, and then you see them take issue with the fact that they are not being esteemed highly enough. And that's why Moses rebukes, and he says, Do you understand God has called you and set you apart? Why are you rebelling against Aaron and myself? We are but men. With your attitude, you are rebelling against God. So think back to the scheme of the enemy in Genesis chapter 3. These folks were supposedly questioning the command of the Lord, the word of the Lord to God's chosen. Does God really want us to do this, Moses, or are you just making it up and esteeming yourself highly? They bought into a lie that they should be exalted above their place of service and calling. And they let jealousy manifest in their heart because of it. And then not only did they keep it to themselves, they gathered a crowd of 250 to go with them in rebellion. Some nasty stuff right there. So we're about to move into the blame and shame portion of how the prince of the power of the air works. And we're going to see this. Moving on. To verse 12, then Moses sent to call Dathan and Abram, the sons of Iliad, but they said defiantly, we will not come up. They said to Moses, is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of a land of plenty flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness, but you would also lord it over us? Indeed, Moses, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us an inheritance of fields, vineyards. Will you gouge out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. I think, if you remember Annette's sharing from last month, Moses didn't have anything to do with them not inheriting the promised land the first time around. Moses was not among the 12 that were commissioned to go in and the 10 that chose to spread the bad report, yet this bitterness flows out of them. And I just thought, Lord, what is the application of, of separation from you with this person? How does that apply to us? And the Lord just kind of said, When there's unsettled disappointment in your heart, you will begin to blame me and you will begin to rebel against me. And that's what they're doing. Moses at this time is proxy between them and the Lord. We go to the Lord directly because we're reconciled in Christ. But they are rebelling against God's chosen because they are disillusioned that they were not able to go into the promised land at the time that they should have gone into the promised land. Moving on, down to verse 19. Then Korah assembled all the congregation. Originally it was 250 members of the congregation. Now we have the entire congregation gathered together. He assembled them against Moses and Aaron at the doorway of the tent of the tabernacle, at the gathering place of the Lord. This is where the heart of this rebellion is manifesting. And this place is only constructed so that these people might experience the Lord. And this horrific thing is taking place. It's horrible. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, Separate yourselves from among the congregation so that I may consume them immediately because they are under wrath, they are not under grace. But they fell on their faces before the Lord and they said, oh God, oh God, the spirits of all all flesh, when one man sins, will you be angry with the entire congregation? Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, say to the congregation, get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abram. Then Moses arose and went to Dathan and Abram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he said to the congregation, Get away from the tents of these wicked men and touch nothing of theirs, so that you will not be swept away in all their sin. So I just want to point out, even though wrath is about to come forth in this story, God gave them multiple chances to step away from that. And just for a moment of self-reflection, and I had to go through all this myself as I prepared this, Are there areas of your heart and your temple that you're allowing rebellion to dwell? Because God tells them through Moses, get away from the dwelling place of these rebellious folks or you will be consumed. And while if you are a believer, you are under grace, if you choose to live in rebellion and sin, it will consume your peace. There's no question about that. It doesn't mean that the Lord is not right there ready to bring peace back into your life when you're ready to hand over rebellion to them, but to continue to dwell in the tents of those who are rebellious will consume your peace. Verse 27, So they got back from around the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abram. And Dathan and Abram came out and stood at the doorway of their tents, and they brought their wives and their sons and their little children. The prince of the power of the air tries to attack generations. There are children that have been brought into this rebellion and it was not their choice. His schemes are the same today. His schemes are the same as they were yesterday. He is not he is not all-knowing, all creative, and all powerful like our God. God created the heavens and the earth. The enemy, the enemy manipulates and he distorts. He has no authority to create on his own. So when we see the way that he works, we can recognize it. We can bring light into that darkness. And so we don't give him time, we're not giving him time in an audience right now, but we're just calling it out and saying we're smarter. We're an assembly. We are an assembly of women not gathered in rebellion, but gathered in a spirit of understanding and wisdom and a sound and gentle mind. And we see what's going on here. We're not gonna let this happen in our homes, not in our churches, not in our community. We're gathered in unity over the grace of the Lord. There will be no spirit of rebellion among us. Moving on, verse 28. Then Moses said, by this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works for I do not act of my own accord. The word of God said that Moses was meek unlike anyone else in the Bible in a different passage. Man, that's incredible. He'd done a lot by this point. So to still be able to say this is not by This is not by my might, that I'm doing this. Verse 29, if these men die, the common death of all mankind, or if what happens to everyone else happens to them, then you will know for sure that the Lord has not sent me. He's so confident in the word of the Lord that God commissioned and chosen him to do that and to carry that nation and those generations that are getting pulled into this rebellion into the promised land that he's willing to look like a fool in front of everyone else because he knows the word of the Lord. There's not rebellion in his heart in this passage. Verse 30. But if the Lord creates an entirely new thing and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up along with all that belongs to them and they descend alive into Sheol, the netherworld, the place of the dead, then you will understand that these men have, re- have spurned and rejected the Lord. What seems like rebellion Against man, when it's God's chosen, what well, seems like rebellion against calling. If the Jewish teachings are true, that they were rebelling against the instruction of sewing the tassels on, that was part of their calling. That's a partnership of rebellion against, against the Lord. Verse 31. As soon as Moses speaking was finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split open, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them and their households and all the men who supported Korah with all their possessions. So they and all that belonged to them, all the assembly that gathered, they went down alive into the place of the dead. And the earth closed over them, and they perished from among the, the assembly. All Israel who were around them fled at their outcry, for they said, the earth may swallow us also. And so, with that, I think you understand why I would think, Lord, what do I have to teach about that? But this was where I landed on this. We've all been in that pit. We've all rebelled against God at some point in our life, even if it wasn't consciously or knowingly, just being born into a sinful world. We were born destined for that pit. But God, in His goodness, sent Jesus, and he went down and he brought us up, even when we were rebelling against him. I picture the scenery of it all. Can you just picture it with me? All of these people in the wilderness, and and you see the men in rebellion with their families, with their children, You see the hundreds that have gathered and then the excess of the congregation that's also come because they've decided they don't like where they are. They don't like who's leading them. They don't like that they've not arrived at the place that they thought they were going to be at. And they are just mad at life. And that comes out in separating them from the Lord. I don't think anyone ever thought, I hope that by the end of this day, I end up swallowed alive on my way to hell. I don't think that was anyone's intention when they chose to partner with someone who was disgruntled, that fed them lies. That there's, there's something different for us, and Moses isn't taking us in the right direction, and, and th- these are too heavy of a burden that Moses is putting on us. This isn't the word of the Lord. And, but that was the result. Remember, remember back in the Garden of Eden when Satan said to Eve, Surely you won't die. Surely you won't die. Has he ever stooped to you, the enemy? Have you ever found your place in a place of consequence that it was not your intention to be there? It wasn't your intention to be there, but you found yourself there. So I can picture in this scenery that I've described, all these people standing around that are about to fall victim to the prince of the power of the air because they have partnered with this rebellion. I can picture Jesus just walking into their midst and saying, I'll go into the pit for you. That's what he did for us. So I, I needed to connect with this passage because I needed to understand that's where I was destined for. A lifeless pit. Not only eternally, but living on earth without peace. But God. But God. So as I thought about where do I want to take this in ending so that we can be reminded of the reality that even when we rebel now, there's no opening of the earth, there's no immediate trip to the place of the dead, there's an invitation to grace every time. It says that his mercies are new every single morning. And so Isaiah 53 is a prophecy about Jesus, who would eventually be born, eventually die, eventually rise again, redeem our souls and bring us up from the pit that we might be seated in Christ. I want to read this entire passage over us. And I want you to know, if you do not know the Lord and you think I'm still in that pit, you don't have to be there. You don't have to be there and you don't even have to do anything to get out of the pit except call on Jesus. The suffering servant, so, despite all of that, and that's probably not even in the top of the worst examples of stories of things that the Israelites did over the course of Old Testament history, but despite all of that, even back in Genesis 3, God said to Satan, I'm going to send seed offspring, and he is going to fatally crush your head. This is a little prophecy about that seed. Isaiah 53. Who has believed confidently, trusted in, relied on, and adhered to our message of salvation? And to whom, if not us, has the arm and infinite power of the Lord been revealed? For he, the servant of God, grew up before him like a tender shoot plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no stately form or majestic splendor that we would look at him, nor handsome appearance that we would be attracted to him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and pain, acquainted with grief, and like the one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we did not appreciate his worth or esteem him. But in fact, he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows and pains, Yet we ignorantly assumed that he was stricken, struck down by God and degraded and humiliated. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our wickedness, our sin, our injustice, our wrongdoing. The punishment required for our well-being fell upon him. And by his stripes or wounds we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each one to his own way, but the Lord caused the wickedness of us all to fall on him. The Lord caused the wickedness of Paige Scott to fall on him. The Lord caused the wickedness of you to fall on him. The Lord Lord caused the wickedness of your greatest offender to fall on Jesus. Speaking of Jesus, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth to complain or defend himself. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before her shearers, so he did not open his mouth. After oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who concerned himself with the fact that he was cut off from the land of the living by his death, for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke of death was due. His grave was assigned with the wicked, but he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet, the Lord was willing to crush him, causing him to suffer. Sometimes people think, is the Lord causing this in my life? I'm going through a bad, bad, bad season. Is the Lord causing this in my life? If you're under the grace of Jesus, the grace of the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lord is causing grace in your life. The Lord was willing to crush Jesus, causing Jesus to suffer. If Jesus would give himself as a guilt offering, an atonement for sin, he will see his spiritual offspring. He will prolong his days, and the will and good pleasure of the Lord shall succeed and prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he shall see it and be satisfied by his knowledge of what he has accomplished. The righteous one, my servant, shall justify the many, making them righteous, upright before God, and right standing with him. We're talking about the wicked. That's the wicked from a few verses before. They're being made righteous because the Lord was willing to crush Jesus on our behalf for our rebellion, our separation from him. He shall bear the responsibility for their sins. Therefore, I will divide and give him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoils with the mighty, because he poured out his life to death and was counted among the transgressors. You know who the transgressors were besides all of us in this room? Korah and his whole assembly of people that were rebellious, they paint a really good picture of what it looks like to be a transgressor rebelling defiantly against the word of the Lord. And he was counted among them, anyone who's transgressed. Yet he himself bore and took away the sin of many and interceded with the Father for the transgressors. That's us. He interceded on our behalf. And then the New Testament says that we were transferred out of a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of marvelous light. And it said, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? So I end wanting you to realize three things one I want you to recognize the reality of how Satan works through a rebellious spirit he questions the word of the Lord to the chosen of the Lord you are the chosen of the Lord we are all chosen by God we are called according to his good purposes this is the word of the Lord the Bible maybe a word someone gave you because they're gifted in that way Something that's in your heart that you know you're supposed to do because you were just like born with that desire for as long as you can remember. Satan questions the word of the Lord to the chosen of the Lord. Satan likes to get people fixated that their season and their status is not enough. He said to Eve, remember, surely God just knows that really if you did this, you would have more. To Korah, Korah said, we're special, we're, we're special, but why aren't, we, why aren't we as esteemed as highly as you, Moses? Satan moves in, and the result of that partnership with rebellion creates sin and separation, which often looks like blame and shame. And then remember the example of the men who are so bitter about not being in the promised land that it ended in their own death because they've not processed their disappointments. So recognize how the enemy works. Know what the word of the Lord is to the chosen of the Lord. Know that the enemy would love to see everyone either eternally in a pit or living their life like they're in a pit. But we've got another option. If you're in the pit, would you let them reach down and pick you up? Thank you, Lord. Jesse, if you'll come up, we're just gonna have a, a song of reflection. And I know this conf- my intention is not for this to feel heavy. My intention is that for us to be so refreshed that we're like, thank you, God, that the earth has not swallowed me up <laughs> in my sin and my rebellion. Because maybe you had a bad day. Or maybe you grew up in a household where someone was rebelling against God in life. And it impacted you, like Cora's children and grandchildren. Would you let Jesus come into that place of disappointment and bring it out of the pit today? Yeah. Yeah. So um, if, if those that are part of the entourage team that, that Phil led want to go over and just be available to pray with anyone, that would either like to accept the Lord or, or receive prayer or something, we want to be available to do that. We thank you, Lord, for this word. We thank you that Isaiah 55 says, your word goes out and it accomplishes the purposes for which it was sent. So Father, I yield this to you, Father. It's seeds sown into the ground. I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone that feels they are in that pit, that they would not stay there, that they would not stay there. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Entourage Ministries, visit our website at entourageministries.com or visit us on Facebook or Instagram. We gather for our monthly worship gathering open to any woman who has interest the second Tuesday of every month at the Monterey in the Arts District of Durant, Oklahoma.